So as we were enjoying the most beautiful sukkahs in years, as we were singing in our sukkahs on Shmini Atzeres, little did we know what was going on in our beloved Eretz Yisrael at that same moment. And I know there are many gatherings going around in the city tonight, as there should be, as the Jewish people in Toronto are very eclectic, and they all need to respond in ways that speak to their souls. So that's why we're meeting here as well. And there really are no words to say. And many of us have children in Eretz Yisrael. I have a son who's in Eretz Yisrael in Yerushalayim right now. Um, I have another son and daughter-in-law who want to go back to Eretz Yisrael who aren't able to go to Eretz Yisrael. We have relatives in Eretz Yisrael. We uh, have beloved members who made Aliyah. Shlomo Friedlander is there. The Simcovers are there. Others are there. So it's something that's very shocking. And I'm sure by this point in time you've had your fill of all the videos and all the graphic images that the, uh, that the wicked people volunteered to send. Very reminiscent of the Nazis who Mamish took videos of their victims to show everyone else. And these people did the same thing and it, it's really gruesome. And what comes to mind as we said on Shmini Atzeres morning, we read the book of Koheles, where King Solomon said, Ace leave coast. It's a time for weeping, the Ace Lishok, and a time for laughing. Ace Safod, it's a time for wailing, the Ace Rakot, a time for dancing. It was almost as if it was all happening all at the same time. One half of the world was one way, one half of the world was the other way at the same time. But then it says, Eis Lachashos, a time for silence, the Eis bear and a time for speaking. What does that mean? So I want to share with you two commentaries. One is from the Peleoites, and he explains that there are times when speaking is not a good thing to do, and sometimes being quiet is not a good time to do. Sometimes you could say the wrong thing. And he brings from the Zohar that says that just like a person will be punished for speaking things like Lush and Hora or things he should not say, he'll be punished for the good he was supposed to say that he didn't and he did not speak, such as words of rebuke to correct uh, sinners from their ways. And their silence is almost agreement and assistance to this. So sometimes it's not good to be silent. But then he ends and says, you must weigh very carefully before you speak. If it's something that's worthy to speak or if it's not worthy to speak. And that's why as I was thinking about tonight, I was saying there's a whole lot of things we could say. There's a whole lot of things that I would like to say but I feel that in many ways, certain things to be said are not to be said at this time. 
So I just want you all to know that when you finish and you will discuss what the rabbi said or didn't say is, just let you know, I'm not finished talking about this tonight. But I think for tonight, it's better to not say more than what to say. Because things are too raw and people do not need to hear any musr tonight. Tonight is not the night for that. Tonight is not the night to look for faults. Tonight is the night, but rather as the Torah Tamima tells us on this same Pasuk, on the words, it's time to be silent at the time to speak. Sometimes a person speaks and is rewarded for their speech. And sometimes a person is silent and is rewarded for his silence. When were the Jews awarded for their speaking? When the Egyptians drowned at the sea and the Jews on the one hand said, how can we sing to God when there's so many human beings who died? But Moshe said, no, 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 now is the time to speak. And they spoke and they were rewarded for that. But then he brings the Medrash that there were two examples where it's a time not to speak and to be rewarded. And one was that when the two sons of Aaron on the greatest holiday in history up to that point, up to that point in Jewish history, when the Mishkan was dedicated and that was such a glorious, amazing moment and his two sons died as they entered the holies of holies. And you can be sure there was a lot that Aaron could have said. And Aaron chose to be quiet. And he was rewarded that Hashem spoke to Aaron alone to give him a command of the Torah, something he never received otherwise. And David HaMelech as well. The Torah says, then he says in Tehillim, Dom Hashem be patient and wait for God. Be silent. And David had a lot that he could say. And yet he was silent. And what was his reward? The verses that say before that, he said, Leave all your ways to Hashem and he will do it. He will cause your vindication to shine forth like the light, the justice of your case, like the noonday sun. He'll be, he was greatly rewarded for his silence. Now the question is, what was the nature of the silence? We know the Talmud says, just like you make a blessing on something that happens that's good, you have to make a blessing for something that's bad. So what's the silence? Says the Torah to Mima. Let me read the words. One should not criticize Hashem and His attributes. The silence that we can be rewarded from is a situation that is so difficult to fathom. How could Aaron believe that his two sons were the greatest human beings of the generation, even greater than Moshe and greater than Aaron. And they were the most sincere Jews. And they were doing something that they felt was so positive. And their lives were snuffed out before their father's very eyes. 
And David HaMelech, one of the greatest Jews who ever lived, he lived in constant peril. No matter what he did, he could find no peace. And there were those who were questioning whether we should have said Hallel, uh, whether we should have said Tehillim on, the, on Simcha's Torah. And I think many of us failed to realize that we all said Tehillim on Simcha's Torah. It was the Hallel. The Hallel of David HaMelech. And when you read the words, what does David HaMelech say? They're surrounding me. They're all trying to destroy me, but I speak in your name, Hashem. He says it three times. David HaMelech, no Jew suffered as much as David HaMelech in his lifetime. And never once a criticism of God. Not one. We don't have to go over all the pain and suffering. His family too, his father and mother and children uh, uh, siblings got all murdered by the Moabites. You may not know that fact. He was disdained as a child. From the beginning of his life till the end, he knew no peace of mind. He never, ever questioned God. He understood that God knows God, a loving God, does things that are just beyond what we can understand. And therefore, today... And for the next few days is really the ace lachashos. It's the time to be silent. Silence means to not criticize Hashem. To have a in Hakodesh Baruch And for this, the rabbis tell us, we'll be richly rewarded. Now I know if you asked us for our choices, we would not choose this. But God's a little more clever than us, a lot more loving than we, us. And in his infinite wisdom, he understands that what he is doing is a necessary process. And for us to be silent and to display our emuna is what's expected now. There's a lot of politics going on here. I'm not going to talk about it tonight. There's a lot of the Yad Hashem you could see. I'm not going to talk very much about it. There's a lot of things that need to be repaired. Now's not the time. It's not appropriate. And as the Peleyoid says, you have to really weigh. I was weighing the whole day what, what I should say. So I prefer to err on the side of not giving public musr. I would prefer to just teach us how to be silent tonight and how to have the moral integrity to not criticize Hashem, which is not easy if you saw a lot of those videos. But the goal is that we should be richly rewarded. And when they talk about reward, I don't talk about money. I don't talk about fame. Rewarded with a closeness to Hashem. Rewarded with tranquility. Rewarded with peace of mind. Rewarded with being considered of Hashem's closest and most trusted allies.
So before I continue, I got an email this morning from Jack. And Jack was amongst uh, many uh, tourists and visitors who wanted to be in Eretz Yisrael for Sukkot, which is a very laudable thing to do. And uh, he said goodbye to me uh, the Shabbos before uh, Sukkot. He said, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And him, like a number of other people, found himself caught in the middle of all this. So just to give you a first person's um, account of it, because, uh, you know, you could speak to people on the phone, but it was a human being right in front of you who was experiencing, I think it, it was a very good idea that he gave me. So I'd like to give Jack the uh, podium for a few minutes. Oh, you want to speak from here? Okay, but just try to speak loud, loudly so the ladies can hear you. Yeah, you can speak from here. We just got home from uh, Eretz Yisrael last night. Uh, all day, uh, we didn't know whether the airport would be open or close. We got back at uh, Canada at 10 o'clock. Last flight. Now it's closed. If we could have waited, no more flights are going out. How something can change from or lechoshech immediately from simchat to avela. Sukkot in Eretz Yisrael is a wonderful experience. Since I sold my house in 2005, where I had my own sukkah, I go. I want to go as often as I can, and except for COVID, it's been most years. It is really a simcha to be there. If you know Yerushalayim, on every night of Chalamoed, there's a musical ensemble in front of Vishar Yafo, in front of Mamila, Sachar Park, and so on. So here we were, the Friday night before it started, really celebrating Sukkot in our hotel, there were hakafot, because Simcha's Torah there is a day earlier than here. And there was a Friday night meal. There must have been 500 people attending in the ballroom. And we wake up in the morning to go to breakfast before going to shul. And at 7.30, as soon as we sat down and got a glass of juice, get into the bomb shelter where we stayed for 20 minutes. And then, throughout the whole day, this is Tel Aviv, sirens are going off. So, in Shul, after they read the, everyone got a Torah, Leah, imagine not having a, a, a Kiddush or a Kafot, because how could we rejoice at the time, and we didn't know how the immensity of the destruction that people are dying all over the place. And the number, more people died on that Shabbos since the Holocaust. More Jews died on that, that Shabbos since the Holocaust. So how things can turn so fast, but the other, you know, other things that we noticed on the way to the airport Sunday morning, we were driving through Nevet Tzedek and other neighborhoods of Tel Aviv where on Thursday we had been and there were throngs of Israelis in the streets and the coffee shops 
everything is closed. As the driver said, everything is closed. People are staying at home. That's, that's what happened in, in, in an instant. Things changed from joy. And, and one thing that might happen on a, on a positive side, adversity brings Israelis together. Israel was a very torn country before Sukkot. There were riots and demonstrations every week between Haredim and Chilonim, between <coughs> those who support the liberal side or the conservative side about the justice reform. But if you saw what yesterday in Israel, how people were helping each other, all kinds of people working together, and that is one positive note I'd like to end on. You are definitely very fortunate because uh, nobody's going in or going out uh, now. So if you recall, the first night of Rosh Hashanah, those of you who were here on uh, Friday night, I shared with you a piece of the Talmud and the observation of the Kleyokor, where the Talmud tells us and the Kleyokor elaborates, he says, a year that Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos is a year that either terrible catastrophes will happen or great blessings will happen. And I spent a lot of time explaining the catastrophes of the destruction of the two temples was when Rosh Hashanah was on a Shabbos and we did not blow the shofar. And then we discussed amazing things that happened when Rosh Hashanah came out on a Shabbos. The Jews could enter Eretz Yisrael for the first time. And I said that this, this year, it's going to be one way or the other. And the last most significant time that Rosh Hashanah came out on a Shabbos was the year before 9-11 that Rosh Hashanah came out on a Shabbos and we did not blow the shofar. And at the time I said, we've got a lot to dive for. We hope to have a great year. Last year was a great year for our Kehillah and the Jewish people in general. We could daven. But it seems that it's going the other way. It didn't take long after Yom Kippur for us in the Thornhill neighborhood to be saddened by the fact that a young nine-year-old girl gets run over, total accident, and killed right on the spot in front of her siblings. And it's interesting that there's wonderful volunteers that are involved in a Jewish crisis intervention. And my wife joined this year with a number of people and, uh, and they said, well, you know, major crisis, you know, you don't get more than a couple a year. And as soon as they had their first meeting a few days before, boom, came that. And that was a shock in the community. And then last week, unfortunately, a, uh, a young woman, about 18, 19, she, a Jewish woman, she commits suicide 
and passes away. Two crisis interventions in like two weeks. The trauma was unbelievable. So in Thornhill, you could already feel, you know, what's, what's going to be. But now this? So what did we say? The last major one was 9-11. 9-11. And many people are trying to draw parallels, if correct or not, I don't know, to 9-11. But as Jack said, this was the most amount of Jews in one day who passed away. Certainly very reminiscent of the Yom Kippur War, for those who remember, in many ways for that. So I want to address a couple issues over here in terms of our silence. And we're told that in the times before Mashiach, and although all aspects of serving God are important, but what is it necessary for someone to avoid the terrible pains during the birth pangs of the Mashiach? When the Mashiach is about to come, it's like a birth. And we're bringing birth to a new entity of reality. It has to be painful. So what can one do? We can't avoid delivering, but the birth pangs. You know, many women deliver babies, Baruch Hashem, and they waltz right through it. Some of them. Many of them suffer greatly. You end up with a baby anyway. Sometimes, unfortunately, you don't even end up with a baby. But there are those who, who suffer greatly and those who, who don't suffer as much. And the key to that, the rabbis say, is emuna, bitachon, and prayer. That is what's going to keep our sanity. That's going to be the, the, the painkiller, so to speak, to remove this. So let me share with you this idea a little bit. And I know some of this is stuff we all are aware of, but always got to review certain things. We understand the purpose of creation, that God created man to give him pleasure. This week's parsha, Shem puts man in the Garden of Eden. Shem couldn't do more to make his life beautiful. And the way that life would be beautiful is to have a good, intense relationship with mankind and a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And as King Solomon says, God created man straight, but man comes up with all kinds of calculations. God created the world to bask in the light of the supreme loving God, to be close to that divine embrace and to appreciate all the goodness that Hashem brings into the world. But unfortunately, by that one mistake that Adam made, he created so much uncertainty in this world and from that comes the great war of civilization, that war between good and evil. And Hashem, who had wanted so desperately to give all this love and, and, and pleasure to mankind, it seemed there's going to be a great war. And many of the leaders of the world did not want the gifts that God had to give them. They felt they can be in charge of the world, and we see they did not do a very good job as we see what the world like was like before the flood, what the world was like before the Tower of Babel. Savagery at its worst. And that's when man wants to detach himself from God. 
And I don't have to go over the whole story of the Jewish people, but then comes along Avram Avinu and says, no, 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 we got to change all this. One man against the whole world. And you could be sure he was not beloved to the wicked people of the world. It was one man fighting against the whole world and God makes a covenant with him. I don't have to repeat all this. You know all this. Hashem says, you're my only hope for this world. If you don't make it Avram, there's no point in there being a world. Man is destroying himself. And then we have Yitzhak and Yaakov, Jewish people, etc., etc. And that's what it's all been about. Good versus evil. And the Jewish people were created, as we are called Yehudim, from the words praise. We're created to praise Hashem and bring the world to its destiny. And the destiny is not the way we see the world now. This was not the destiny of the world. A destiny where people are loving each other and helping each other and recognizing that all their blessings are coming from Hashem. And three times a day when we say the Oleinu and we say, Bayom Hahu on that day, will be Latakin Olam, the Malchus Shakai, the Tikkun Olam, that the world will understand that God is good and He loves us and He wants the best for us. But there's people who are not interested in that. But that day will come when Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. That God is one and His name is one. And we talked about on Yom Kippur that the purpose of Yom Kippur is to come to the to the realization of Ein Od Milvado. There is nothing but Hashem. Hashem is the source of all reality. And even things that appear to be evil are all sourced in Hashem, not that Hashem wants to bring evil, but Hashem has the tools. The evil people choose to be evil, and Hashem will show us that no, from that there's God's involvement to bring things to a better reality. Not that God wants to see young people murdered at a music festival. That's certainly not what Hashem wants. Evil people have free will choice. But when you go to the deepest, darkest evil, you cannot say God does not exist there. God exists there and he's pulling certain strings that we cannot understand for those who were at the afternoon class on Yom Kippur, we talked about Gilgulim and transmigrated souls. There's a lot of questions we cannot answer because we don't have all the Cliff's notes. We don't have the notes of what happened thousand years before. But when the world comes to the end, Ein Od Movado must exist. There's no choice. Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. Which means that every human being on the planet must recognize the kindness of Hashem, that ultimately He is the one who is manipulating all of history, allowing people to make free will choices, choices of evil or choices of good, and creating all those circumstances and manipulating them so at the very, very end, on the final page of the history of the world, the entire world will say, Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. And evil will be totally eradicated. We thought at the Holocaust we were getting close to it. But then again, for Hashem, for Hashem time, a thousand years is like a day. But what must happen before Mashiach comes without any doubt 
if it's ain od milvado, there's nothing else but Hashem. So what must be before that? Must be a lot of people thinking there is something besides Hashem. And only after every possible opportunity to show that there's something other than Hashem had its chance to shine, but then to self-destruct. And then when you run out of any options that are left, and the world somehow will now thrive when the Messiah comes, then we'll say, ain't old Movado. We can't say, ain't old Movado. When man is so full of his bravado from all his technological advances, how could you say old Movado when we've got all kinds of electronic devices that puts the whole world in our hands? It's hard to say old Movado. It's hard to say old Movado when there are when there was the Russian Tsar. How can you say Enod Movado? He just destroyed all of Yiddishkeit in Russia. Made life miserable. What do you mean there ain't old Movado? There's the Tsar. Hashem says, don't worry, we're going to get rid of him. They got rid of him. Communism. God said, got rid of him. So many isms throughout history. Okay, Rome, Greece, this, that. At the time, this was it. This was it. No, no, this isn't it. But as we get closer and closer to the end, the others seem to be really something. And the bigger they appear to be, the more crushing will be their fall. Raboisai, I don't want to talk too much about this. We're going to get into politics. I don't want to do this. But if you're an observer of the world, you're noticing what's happening to the powerful countries of the world. They're falling apart in front of your eyes. Evil is rearing its ugly head. For, for Mashiach to come, it's, it's not my opinion. Our faith in democracy must fall. Because democracy has been something in addition to God. Some say socialism has been something in addition to God. Depends who you ask. But one thing's for sure, there really is no country in the world where God is front and center. The real God. Not the phony God. Not the God that the Arabs, the Muslims are saying. That's not our God. That's a, that's a distortion of Hashem. Not the one that the Christians believed in that said it was a mitzvah to kill Jews and murder them for, mil- for hundreds of thousands of years. All these who say, it's not God. It's our version of God. It's our version of reality. They must all fall. Now you're going to say, but I like it. It's kind of comfortable here. But do you want Mashiach? Do you want Eid Movado or not? So some people might say, I'm really not interested in Mashiach. That's your choice. But guess what? The birth pangs are going to hurt. The idea of the silence tonight is so the birth pangs should not hurt. Or if they hurt, to mitigate it and to have us be able to absorb it and grow and become stronger from it. So therefore, you're seeing the world now 
And it's always, Israel is always the canary in the coal mine. It started in the 60s. Listen, this is not a new story. It started in the, it started always. Oh, the terrorism in Israel. Remember the 60s, Arafat? Remember that picture of Arafat? They let him go and he's on this boat waving his head. You remember that picture? I'll never forget. You remember that, that Russia, Marusha? They had him. Israel had him. They could have crushed him. No, no, no. They have to let him go. He's a man who's going to get a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and he's smiling. Goodbye. Before how many thousands of Jews must die? Democracy is falling. And how does it fall? Through Israel, that's what the enemies would like to see happen. Democracy is falling. What are other gods that we believe in other than Hashem? Currency. <laughs> Currency. I'm really sorry to tell you all. That's got to fall, too. Because if it doesn't, you will always have another god to rely on. Now, it doesn't have to be bad that the currency falls. Because after all, you don't think Hashem can't help you? Think Hashem is not big enough to help us if democracy falls? Guess what? The world lived without democracy for 3,000 years, and we're still around. Rome was very powerful. Didn't look like we had much hope, did it? It was not exactly cool to be a Jew. You, you, were, you were on the menu for the lions in that civilized world. They're all gone. They're all gone. And who's left? Us. How? That's ain't old Nevada. That's the promise of seven men. I'm not minimizing what happened the last few days. It's terrible, 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 terrible. But we've had it just as bad at other times in our history. And, we're, and we're, we're around. Who's around? The ones who said, ain't old Nevada. We will hang on. We will hang on. Many Jews said it's not worth it. Many Jews have left, but we're here. And here becomes and I've, the saddest part of it all. If everything has to fall, I, I'm, I'm saying my words carefully, so I'm going to say it twice to make sure nobody misunderstands it. All gods must fall, and we have to lose our trust in relationships other than the trust in Hashem. The only real trust we can have is in Hashem. Now, we can try other things, but you know, but at the end, it's only Hashem. You go to work every day. If you really trust your ability to work, then you don't believe in Adon Love. Yes, you should work. God wants you to work, but you're going to succeed? That's all up to God. That's Adon Movado. We go through the motions, yes. But to honestly believe, and that's why a Jew who will not work on the Shabbat, that reminds him that it's not him. Very nice. So now what other God must fall? Remember, for calling God means we put our trust in that other than in Hashem. You follow? What must fall? Internet. 
Our, well, maybe. Our trust in the tzahal without God to save us. That has to fall. Tzahal with God should stay forever. But tzahal without God cannot exist. Because then there's no Eino of Novada. David HaMelech, the greatest general in history, who did he give the credit for? Did he ever once take credit? Not once. He says, all Hashem. Every great Jewish general always knew. We pray, we fast, we pray to Hashem. Hashem, we're going through the motions. We're brave because we trust you. And if you're looking for heroes, these are the heroes. And there are many, many Jewish soldiers who feel that way on an individual basis. But as a structural organization, unfortunately, as much as we owe a tremendous debt to the Tzahal, tremendous debt, but it's a very dangerous avodazor. And I don't have to be the one to tell it to you. Hashem works in only ways Hashem could say. Netanyahu has said many things. I, I said I wasn't going to talk about how it's just the only one thing. Because, because it's, 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 you, just, I, you can't not say this. You can't not say this. Israeli citizens before Rosh Hashanah are traveling to the Ukraine. 20,000 Hasidim are going to be by Rabbi Nachman's kever in the Ukraine. Seriously? Yes. No, it happened. They went. It happened already. Now, Netanyahu said at the weekly cabinet meeting, he noted he had a recent conversation with Ukrainian President Zelensky. And the Ukrainian leaders stress that the city does not have enough shelters for its own population in case of a Russian attack, let alone tourists. Netanyahu said that when Israel comes under missile attacks, he said this less than a month ago, people head for shelter and have protection. But in Ukraine, there are no shelters and there is no protection. I am sure Netanyahu meant for the welfare of his people. But unfortunately, he doesn't have a Torah mind. And I'm sure he really cared about these people. But he's just missing Torah. Then there was the line that, you know, it's, you could only say Hashem put it in his mouth to say because he's too clever of a politician to make such a boneheaded mistake. He's a good politician in terms of being a politician. There's no way he should have said the next line. He says, God has not always protected us, not on German soil and not on Ukrainian soil. Do you understand what he is saying? What is he saying? In the Holocaust, God didn't protect us. In Ukraine, God didn't protect us. But in Israel, we don't need God to protect us. 
because we got the shelters. He says this one month, if he knew what was going to happen this month, he would certainly not have said such a foolish thing. The hubris. Everything that Tanyo represents is 75 years plus of secular Zionism. We have the land of Israel. We can take care of ourselves. I'm not denying the Jews are heroic fighters. I'm not denying that they deserve all our praise and all our tefillos. But the leadership and how they position this. And there was a lot of banter going on in the Knesset over there, over that line. And Hashem just laughs and says, Oi, my Bibi, what do I got to do to show you? How many is it going to take? When we go into a shelter, we are safe. And then you look, you look at the videos. And the Jews by the, in the, in the small towns there, they go into the bomb shelters. But you know something about a bomb shelter? It's to protect you from bombs. But there's no lock inside. You can't lock yourself in. Because who in the world would ever think a terrorist is going to go into your bomb shelter? And Netanyahu, the great, the great God, it's not him, any of them would say the same thing. They've all said the same thing. Our God will protect you. Our God, the IDF. It's the ones who go to Ukraine, 20,000 of them came back. Not one of them got touched. I'm not suggesting you should go to Ukraine or not. That's your business. <laughs> I'm saying Hashem says, you're going to make a mockery of me? You're going to eat those words, my friend. And Nebuch, how many had to die? In the bomb shelter. They're in the bomb shelter. So what happens? They can't lock it. Comes the terrorist. Sahal, Sahal. Petach the Delet. Say it again, Sahal. Boom. Blow it up. In Israel, they'll be safe in our bomb shelters. The God of secular non-involvement of God in the Tzal must go down. There'll be more religious soldiers, more religious officers, and we'll change that. But Hashem is saying this, this, the ultimate kfira in God. So that's another God that has to be destroyed. When you come to Mashiach, it's not a picnic. This is real. This is real stuff. The upheaval that has to happen in the world to bring what we are dawdling for every day, it's going to come with a lot of pain. And this is where the amuna and the bitachon comes into play. We must unequivocally accept this and not complain. And for this we will be rewarded. Will this answer, what did those young children have to, why did they deserve, we don't know the answers. 
But you know, if there's ain old Movado, sometimes mankind with their foolish mistakes say, Hashem, you're not leaving me a choice. I tried for all these years. You know how many miracles I did for you guys? And miracles I've done for the state of Israel to, to survive? And not once do any of your secularists give me the credit? Well, how much more do I can I show you? A bunch of fools on Yom Kippur. And as if your friends in the United States even cared about you on Yom Kippur. Henry Kissinger, Yamach Shemo. Yamach Shemo Vizichro, the hater of Jews. When they had, America had intelligence that Israel's going to get hit. Right before Yom Kippur, they had it. They go to Kissinger, the self-hating Jew, and said, should we tell the Israelis? And he said, no, let them bleed a little first. And once they bleed a little, then we'll help them. I said, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> we have to have bitachon. And how does that manifest itself? Now it manifests itself in two ways. And it's both in this week's Parsha that was also read on the very day that all this murder was happening. Hashem creates the world. He creates the vegetation. But when he created the vegetation, the vegetation was all subterranean. It wasn't out yet. Torah says, well, why, why isn't it out yet? Well, because there's no man to work the land. And Rashi said, there's no person to pray for the rain. Now, the question is, God's kind of smart. He could have created a world that doesn't need rain. He's the one who creates. Create, create the flowers. Everything's there. You don't need any rain. So but why did Hashem do this? Now remember, Hashem has no ego. He can't have an ego because he has everything. Everything he does is a great kindness. So why does God have to wait for man to be created, to pray for the rain, to make the grass grow and the vegetables come out? So it's not that the rain is needed for the world, but prayer is needed for the world. And if we don't, if we need rain, then we'll pray for rain. And we'll look up to the skies and say, Hashem, I know that you're kind. Please give us some rain. While Egypt had the Nile River, and therefore they never had to pray to Hashem. Why does Hashem require us to need nutrition? Hashem could have made his people who never need to have nutrition. Listen, computers don't need nutrition. He could have made us like computers. We don't need nutrition. But the whole idea is when we're talking about a relationship with someone, you got to communicate with someone. And therefore, the whole reason Hashem created the world this way is so that we would appreciate what Hashem does and we would have a constant relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, the Talmud even says that rain is really not a pleasant thing. You know, we live with paved streets and everything, but you know, in regular world, rain is, if it wasn't for the fact we needed the water, we'd rather have it not rain. The roads get muddy, your, your, your wagon gets stuck. It's a pain in the neck rain. It's a royal pain. 
It does all kinds of problems, especially when you got a freshly new suit, you're going to shul all center rings. But you know what? We need it. It's okay. You can't complain. Hashem didn't have to do that. But why did he? He says, because I want to hear you talk to me. Please, remember that pleasure principle? Part of the pleasure principle is to know you got a loving God who really cares about you. And you just ask and he gives it to you. So therefore, Hashem made the world that way. So now it comes to be a very interesting things. So what happens when a person keeps forgetting about Hashem? Keeps forgetting about Hashem, then we say, we don't need Hashem. So Hashem says, the worst curse for you is to not think you need me. To live without me, that's what happened to the generation of the flood. That's happened to all the wicked generations that don't have God with them. The real God, not phony God. Hashem says, I love you too much to have you avoid me. So Hashem brings us some problems that you can't figure out on your own. And now you got to come to God and say, God, I know maybe I don't deserve it, but could you help me out? Now Hashem says, I'm just waiting for you. See, a lot of people think that we got a problem and therefore we pray. The answer is the problem is we don't pray. So God has to create a problem for us to pray. Hashem says, I give you so much bracha. All I would like is a thank you. Three times a day. Just thank me. That's all it costs. No, I don't got time. I don't want to ask anything. I don't need you. You don't need me? Okay, so we'll see how I am if you don't need me. All of a sudden, oh, so that's, that's for one type of person. So when things aren't going so well, ooh, I think we pray a little better now. Pray a little better? If you have children there and you don't know what's going to happen the next day, you pray a little better. But let's say that people do pray. And we all pray. But here's the real question. Do we really pray with our whole heart? Do we really pray with our whole heart? You know, the fact you dive in three times a day, you're fulfilling a rabbinic uh, mitzvah. But the biblical mitzvah is to pray when you feel you need Hashem's help. When Hashem gives us problems that we think are problems that we pray, then we have a biblical obligation, which is even better. So let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. There are some that just don't pray to Hashem on a regular basis. There are some who pray, but it's missing the heart. And I'm sure there are some, like uh, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who are amazing prayers. They started prayer. So why does Hashem withhold things from them? And the answer is because Hashem loves them so much. He wants them to reach levels of closeness that they never could imagine they have with Hashem. Avram Avinu, you couldn't pick a finer Jew than Avram Avinu. Why does he not have a kid till he's 100? Because Hashem says, you don't know how much closer you can get to me. You have no idea. And all those prayers, that trust in me, that trust, that brings so much good blessing into this world. And Avram, who was an amazing prayer, became superstar through that. So therefore, each and every one of us has to look that part of this is for prayer. Because that really means you believe in God. 
They really believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When things are not going on a superficial level the way we want it, and to say, no, we're still committed, and I'm going to pray stronger, I'm going to pray harder, I can get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, as Jack said, when the uh, when it gets to, going gets tough for the Israelis, they stop uh, their, their machloikas. So same idea, you know, just like Ben Odom Lachavero gets better, Ben Odom Lamakom gets better. Because now we come to the point where really an honest person could say, have we not always been living with miracles in Eretz Yisrael? Can anybody really understand how could it be five hours? Israel is the champion in technology. For five hours, they don't know the fence was breached? How could that be? I don't know the answer. I don't know if anyone will know the answer. Are they going to theorize? Maybe they, you know, they, what do you call it? They block the frequency. Or some are saying they did it so not technically. What are we going to say? You know what? It's time to come home. We got to stop deifying ourselves. Oh, why did these people have that? That's like God's business. That's God's business. Every one of them who died is guaranteed they're going direct flight, even though many of these people didn't even know about God. Direct flight in Dolom Haba. You know what I think was the saddest? When you see the videos and they're running, I think the saddest thing is they had no idea what to do. If Chas V'Shom, any one of us were there, first thing we do is Daven Tavshem. First thing we do is say Shema Yisrael. We had that tool. And in front of the whole world, and we can't criticize, we're not criticizing, I just feel sorry. You know, as Dennis Prager, famous line, he said, there was only one thing that separated the secular Jew from the religious Jew when they were going to the crematoria. In every way, they were the same. There was no difference. Don't matter, religious, you're all going to die in the same. Only difference was, and the most important difference is, one had no idea why he was dying, and the other one understood exactly why he was dying. One knew who he's dying, Al-Kiddush Hashem, and the other one, till the very end, did not understand what's going on. And that really breaks your heart to see young people who are innocent people to be murdered in such a cruel way without even the lifeline of tefillah, without able to say Shema Yisrael before they could leave this world. So prayer is definitely something we should maybe try to focus on and see that as the silver lining. And one last point. The first Rashi in the Torah talks about why does the Torah start with Bereshis? Why does it talk about creation and the whole book of Genesis? Just start with the mitzvahs in the book of Shmos. And we know the famous answer is the Pasuk Mishum Koach Masov Higid Laamo Loses Lahem Nachlas Goyim. As the Navi says, the power of his actions he told to his people to give them the inheritance of the nations of the world. For should the nations of the world say, you Jews, you are robbers. 
You stole Palestine from us. You have no right to the land of Palestine that has our most sacred sites. Right? You're robbers. You're imperialists. What's our answer? The Torah says the whole world belongs to God. He created it. He gave it to the one who was straight in his eyes and he does what he wants. Rashi brings this famous medrash. So Ramban asks a question. He says, well, what, what really is going on over here? Well, really, Emuna is the foundation of Yiddishkeit. So I guess this is all about Emuna because you talk about the creation of the world, it's all about Emuna. So, uh, yeah, okay, so we should start with Emuna with God, but, uh, you know, why do you got to write such a complicated thing, creation? Even physicists don't understand it. Why don't you give us something a little easier to chew on for Emuna and Hashem? So he says, well, but the fact is he did this because this proves that he wants to give us the land. So if Shimshim Pincus adds something and he reiterates the question, so to speak, yes, we should talk about Amuna, but why Dafka this point of Amuna that we deserve the land? Why is this the first thing God has to say, we deserve the land of Israel? So he says, to show the love that Hashem has for the Jewish people. Hashem created the whole world, and what's he going to start it with? That nobody should criticize my kids. I don't want to hear any criticisms about my kids. You're never going to say they're Gazlanim. Never. It's my world, and I gave it to them. So if Pincus asked, so what do we care what they say? What do we care what they say? Let them say what they want. And we're just going to be in the land of Israel. So if Pincus says, he says, Hashem wants to show, I don't want them to have even a scintilla of pain. I don't want them even to have one little criticism about them, let alone anything else. Not even a false criticism. I don't want that to happen. And that's the first message Hashem wants to teach us in the Torah. The very first thing is I don't want my children to suffer. Not even to suffer from false accusations and who cares about it. You read this Rashi and you say, I don't understand. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Bitachon. If your people, if the Jews would believe that first Rashi, then why would the Jews ever want to be like the non-Jews? If the Jews knew the first Rashi, why would Tel Aviv have to look like New York? If they knew the first Rashi. All right, but Hashem says, if you don't even want to believe in the Rashi... <laughs> You think the non-Jews are going to believe in the Rashi? Who is crying the most right now? The Rabbeinah Shalom's tears are overflowing in this world. He says, I gave them everything that they could want. There's nothing I didn't give them. I did miracle after miracle after miracle. I saved the hopeless people from the Holocaust. 
I don't even get a thank you. They don't even put me in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. What I say is that Toeva, they parade in Jerusalem. Please, why are you doing this? I never, never, they get so convinced by everybody else in the world. So if they don't learn the Rashi themselves, because the world does on the Rashi, says, I did everything that you shouldn't even get a scintilla of pain. I've been begging and promising you, and then the miracles that Hashem has done is out of this world. Even at West Point, they're masking to it. To such a point, they don't teach any military strategies about the Israeli wars, because they believe that God did miracles and there's nothing to learn from the wars. The Goyim know that it's a miracle, and the Israelis don't. And therefore, you have to patch around with Narishkeit. Shataka, why are the Goyim doing all this? Why are we reading again that the, that the Security Council has not condemned this act? Well, a very simple reason. Security Council cannot condemn unless all 15 members unanimously agree. So since you got some murderers in the Security Council, you can't condemn it. Now, which is the nation that's the most condemned? We all know the answer. The terrible, terrible Jews. Mamish, they are terrible beyond belief. Daring to defend themselves? <coughs> Well, what do I, and when you see the videos, I'm, well, you got to understand, the Palestinians, they're, they've been deprived. They're being forced in this place. Israel left 15 years ago. you got Gaza, do what you want with it. So, you, you know, we get all upset. Why is the Security Council doing this all the time? And Ref Palm said one of the most beautiful answers, and the next time you hear another one of this, you won't be upset, you'll be so happy. Gonna be thrilled. Whatever you know, whatever they're gonna decide is cruel. It's totally evil, and we all complain. You should sing and dance. Why? Very simple. The Talmud in Avodah Zarah says the following: When the Mashiach's finally gonna come, when the game's over, everybody knows the Jews were right. Hashem's gonna put a safer Torah, as it were, on his lap. Says whoever has done anything to further the Jewish people's uh, growth, come here and get your reward. And guess. What? They're all coming. The Romans are coming. The Greeks are coming. The Italians, the Germans, they're all coming. And I, Hashem said, huh, so what are you coming for? What do you mean? What do you mean? The Greeks said, we built aqueducts. And the Jews got to drink water for the aqueducts. God says, you idiot. You know what? You only did this so you could tax them for the water. You didn't do it for them. He goes to the Romans. Romans said, well, we built roads. Now that, God said, you idiot. You did it just for the tolls. On and on and on. But the Gomorrah was before the UN. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? Mashiach's going to come. The endless is going to be true. The UN will send a secretary general to to represent all the non-Jews <laughs> and says, okay, we'd like to get a little bit of the reward. So Hashem says, uh, Okay, what did you do for the Jewish people? Well, before you answer, let's go through the list how many times you condemned them. Every 
every time they condemn us, they're taking away their privilege. They're so stupid. They can be so rewarded. There's so many wonderful things the non-Jewish world has done. The science, all these things. They've done amazing things. And they're going to want to say, we did it for the Jews. What do you mean you condemned them front, right, left, and center? It was up to you, they'd be totally destroyed. And you yourself voted thousands of times. You should be singing and dancing when you hear that. Instead, we're, we're no, we have to be treated differently. No, you don't. You word what the UN says or what a Kaddish Baruch Hu says? What's more important? So expect the UN to do their foolishness again and again and with CNN and all these Meshuganers to go how terrible we are that we dare to fight back. We have what to have Simchov. So this is, this is what it means for us to be quiet. <laughs> quiet means there's nothing to discuss. Rabbi Yisham knows exactly what he's doing. And we trust. And how do we know we trust? Because we keep talking to him. And we want to upgrade our tefillahs to HaKadosh Baruch. So what is it? Lamaisa, Lamaisa, Lamaisa. What can we do? We're not able to go to Eretz Yisrael. I know uh, people who desperately want to get to Eretz Yisrael to help, you can't get in. But you know what? Some in Eretz Yisrael are able to help a lot. I was on the phone with my son Moishi today, and not because he's my son. I'm sure there's a lot of children who are doing this. So he is learning, he's 26, he's learning in the Torah Or. And uh, there's a number of Bachrim in Torah Or, first year Bachrim. Can you imagine you're, you're an 18 year old boy. You come to Israel to learn Torah, have a good time, and there's bombs blowing all up all over the place. So the first thing is they want to go home. That <laughs> makes sense, I wouldn't blame them. Want to go home? Yeah, but Moishi, he's 26. He's learning with boys there. And when my wife, I asked Moishi, I said, so Moishi, what, what do you think? He says, what do you mean? I live in Eretz Yisrael. I've lived already for four years. This is my home. He hasn't made Aliyah yet, but this is my home. I'm not leaving. You leave just because of this? We've been through this before. And my wife added, lo aleinu, lo aleinu. And if God forbid something would happen to him, he's doing the Ratzon of Hashem where he is. So what's he doing in that yeshiva? He's not just learning with the boys. He's giving them confidence. You know, the rabbeim can say whatever they say, but we all know the rabbis, they're holy people. They're not normal. They're not like us. <laughs> But you have a 26-year-old bucker tells the boys, you know, I was here four years ago when there was the attacks. Don't worry, we're doing what we could do. We're in our post, and we should be doing the things that we should be doing. So I said, Hashem, I said to Moishi, I'm so proud of you, and this is why Hashem has led you in the path of life that you have at this point in time, for you to help other people. <laughs> There's other people that I know personally, I spoke to, that were stuck in Israel and instead of going back, they said, what can we do to help? We got a lot of connections in Canada and the States. And these guys are going, and they're going to bases. Regular guys, 
Torontonian guys. They got Toronto guy. Going to base it, what do you need? Do you understand? Let me just make this clear what's going on because CNN is not going to report this, not even Fox News, They're, even if whatever. They're not going to report this. You have to remember, most of the army are guys who work for a living. The army's not that big. 300,000 are, are, are on duty all the time. Most of them are reserves. Most of them got jobs. Now you got to leave your job for who knows how long. Who's going to pay for the bills? Not only that, you think the Israeli army can equip 300,000 people like that? So this fellow goes and he says, listen, what do you guys need? So they tell them, we don't have basic necessities as soldiers. Boots, this, that, you know, for hiking to default terrains. The Israeli army, they love their, but they only have so much money. So he says, you need that? He goes to a number of stores, cleans them out, buys them with his own money, goes to the base the next day. Here it is. You have what you need. And they're thanking him unbelievably. Another person I know who uh, made Aliyah in Eretz Yisrael, and he works for a living, but he's not working now. You know what he's doing the whole time? Digging graves. You need someone to dig a grave, no? And to help people who are under trauma. So there are people who are doing a lot of things in Eretz Yisrael. So what can we do? Well, the first thing I would suggest not to do, I mean, I, I, I had my dose of social media. I was away from it for four weeks. I said, I have to see what's going on just so my neshama will, will be able to feel the brutality was there. I've seen enough brutality. We've seen enough on social media. It's enough. You get you get a get an update once a day. That's it. You're not doing any more mitzvahs worrying about the Jewish people. Worrying does diddly squat. Translate it. Translate it. In what? Be silent about your criticisms. Show your emuna. Show your emuna. Animamin bemuna shalema. And if, if I haven't prayed, I will pray. And if I do pray, but it's lackluster, I'm going to have a little more heart. And if I have more heart, I can find I can even have more heart than I even think I have heart. That's the key now. It's not time to look to criticize people for what's going on over here. Certainly that's a good way of deflecting responsibility on ourselves. So as I started the talk, there's a time to talk, a time to be silent. This is the silence we will have. The silence of criticizing the Rabbi Nishon. The trust that, no, guess what? With all that you would add, every criticism that every Jew has made to God from the beginning of time and added up would be pretty big, yet we're the only ones that are here. You can see Hashem's awfully patient. That's our job. And for those who mentioned, they said that they wanted to know where to donate. And there's a lot of good places to donate, but you have to always be aware there's certain places not so kosher and could take advantage of people. I'm not casting aspersions on all. And I'm, if you have one, that's fine. But I spoke to the people. Elchanan helped me with this. And we spoke to the ones who runs this uh, charity fund page. And this person takes no money at all for what he gets, gets no cut for what he does. 
If you want, you don't have to. If you're happy with the thing you have, by all means, do it. You don't have to do this. But we made a special Westmount Israel thing, and the money will go into a fund. And when the guy goes to the next uh, group of soldiers, what do you need? And he said, we need this. It's going to cost X amount of dollars. He's going to turn. He's going to email me. He says, do you approve to send this or not? And that's what we're going to do. If we have the money, well, if not, not. If you have your own, it's, it's fine. The shul gets nothing out of this. As well, for prayer, it just was shared anyway, that tomorrow I'm starting in the afternoon a class on tefillah. And one of the things Rav Pinka says, you want to improve your tefillah, you have to study it every day. So it will be something you could look at to work on that. These are the things that we at this point should be doing, in my estimation. Have I covered everything? No. Is there more to happen? We don't know. But we dive into Hashem that things should come out good. You have to remember, you have to remember, very interesting. Yom Kippur War was October 6th, 1973. Who is the perpetrator of it? Anwar Sadat. Anwar Sadat. Do you know when he got assassinated? October 6th, 1981. Hashem will never forgive those people. You start up on October 6th, you're going to get it. On Yom Kippur. And every one of these Rishoyim who chose October 7th, you will see, Hashem will not let any of them go. They will get punished in the worst way. And then we will finally be able. The whole point is that we're going to give birth and it's going to hurt a lot of people. I don't want it to hurt us. It doesn't have to. You can deliver calmly. Suffer, but not to be, to lose it. You know, you go to some uh, wards where they deliver children. I'm not criticizing. I never had to go through it. Some ladies are screaming like crazy. It's like they're dying. And, I, and I'm, I'm not criticizing them. I would probably be worse. And there's others who are kind of calm about it. There's others who are kind of calm about it. I prefer that we be calm about it. Okay, with this, we're going to now continue the program. And Mordechai Michalowicz is going to say a memorial prayer for the countless. Every moment the number goes up, it's already 900 mamish innocent people, innocent Jews have died. So if we could please stand and Mordechai will say the memorial prayer for them.
במעלוס קדושם ותעורם כזוהר רקיע מזהירים ונשמעוס הקדושים והטהורים שנרגע Yeah, if you need, you need more, you could look in a sitter if you don't have enough. 
79, chapter 79, 121 and 130. But there should be enough that you can stand. Is the ladies have enough? Yeah, so there's enough. Okay, and uh, this, you know, if it's real, you're gonna scream. If it's from the heart, you're gonna scream. If it's just to say words that you're forced to say, then you're gonna say words. And if you can't say it in Hebrew, then you say it in English. It's it's what's in your heart, Hashem wants. We're starting with seventy-nine. Mizmor leazav Elohim boyu goyim nachalosekav timu eseichal kotsecha samu eziru sholayim liim.
So this is the core. Shema Yisrael, one time, Baruch Shem, three times. Hashem Huel King. Hashem Huel, Hashem is the source of all nature. Just to be Machazik Armuna, so we'll just uh, repeat after me. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai should hear our tefillos and fulfill them speedily in our times and end the war very quickly. Amen. Amen.